experts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Wow. That, that's all I can really say. Wow. The markets have staged an aggressive rally over the last month. The S&P is up over 5%. The NASDAQ is up over 6%. And even the slow-moving Dow, it's up over 3%. I'm a long-term investor, and I don't focus too much on the market's short-term moves. But this recent move does give me a good excuse to look at the overall market and to try and gauge whether it's just a dead cat bounce, as they say, or has the market really put in a bottom and we're in an early stage of recovery here? Thanks for tuning in. I'm Eric Whiteman here at the XML Financial Group, and this is Common Sense Investing. Glad you could join me. If you have a question or you just want a second opinion on your portfolio, give us a call. The number is 571-261-7670. Always happy to help. Today, I'm going to try and answer the question that I just posed. Have the markets put in a bottom, or is what we've seen over the past 30 days just some short sort of short covering rally? I'm also going to be talking about Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway and what they've been up to over the past few weeks. Spoiler alert, they've been putting money to work. And finally, I'm going to do a show rewind to the last episode when I talked about Amazon and Google splitting their stock. Guess who's next? Let's turn to the markets. There are a number of things that investors are focused on now. The war in Ukraine, inflation, oil prices, monetary policy. What's the Fed going to be doing? Before we get into this, I want you to think about something. I just want you to keep it in the back of your mind as we go through this. When there's uncertainty in the world, you should pay less for stocks. And when things are clearer and more certain, if there is such thing, then you should probably pay more for stocks. I think that's just good common sense, right? You'd pay more for a car that you know is going to start every morning than you would for one that eh, may or may not start. It just depends on how cold it is outside. Now, the choice is obvious. We've seen this in action since the beginning of the year. The S&P 500, the forward multiple, has come down from roughly 23 times earnings to around 19 times earnings where it is now. And almost all of it is due to multiple contraction or basically what investors are willing to pay for a dollar of earnings. Now, is this cheap? Oh, heck no. But I wouldn't say it's overvalued either. If you ask me, there are places in the market that do look inexpensive and you see some bottom fishing going on already. So we have a lot of uncertainty in the world. Stocks should be cheaper now compared to when all that uncertainty is eliminated. I don't know when the war in Ukraine will reach an end, but I would assume that when it does, the market's going to move higher just because that uncertainty is removed. Oil prices look like they've actually stabilized. They've come down from around $130 a barrel to around 106, and that's on the back of Chinese lockdowns. Hopefully, 
this will buy us some time for the policymakers and the oil producers to get together and agree to start producing more oil. I'm not so hopeful here since the administration looks to be hell-bent on staying with their green policies, but we can always hope. Of course, this leads us to inflation. It's not just oil or the price that we pay at the pump, but it's also food, housing, basically everything. The Fed, in my mind, has clearly been behind the curve, injecting liquidity and keeping rates low. Even with the anticipated rate hikes coming down the pike, it seems that they're counting on inflation taking care of itself to some degree. If inflation is running at 7% and you raise rates to, oh, two, two and a half percent, well, that's not going to do a whole lot to get inflation under control. With interest rates at 2%, are they going to be a serious threat to stocks? Probably not. But if they keep raising, at some point, they will become a threat to stocks. What I would say is that equities do look tempting here. Stocks look tempting. Okay. Okay valuations. Somewhat oversold from a technical standpoint, but you do have a lot of uncertainty rising interest rates, slowing economy. I would think that earnings, because we're coming up on earnings season here in just a few weeks, I would think that earnings get revised lower in the coming weeks. For you more aggressive folks, I think you still need to be cautious here. These rallies can be short-lived, so I wouldn't be going out loading up on risk looking for that big pop. It might happen, but... I, th- I think you need to be cautious. As a long-term investor, I fortunately have more latitude in my investment decision-making because, you know, I just have a longer time frame, and I still think the long-term outlook for stocks is positive. In this environment, I'm glad I own those high-quality core holdings. The, these, these are where they really shine, the things like Johnson & Johnson, symbol J&J, Pepsi symbol PEP, Apple, symbol AAPL. When there's a ton of uncertainty in the world, people are still going to use Band-Aids. They're still going to drink Pepsi, and they're going to stay glued to their iPhones too. Speaking of a core holding that's shining, how about Berkshire Hathaway? Symbol BRK, I buy the B share, I own the B share, so it's BRKB. Berkshire is up somewhere around 20% so far this year. Been phenomenal three months for them. A couple of shows ago, I was talking about Berkshire. Not a shocker to those of you who are listeners on a regular base uh, basis. And don't forget, you can subscribe. Just hit the like button on your little app there. Anyhow, Berkshire's annual letter came out, and I was giving you my takeaways from it. You can go back and give it a listen. But Berkshire has a boatload of cash. A boatload is a technical term for $150 billion sitting in short-term treasuries yielding diddly squat. That's another technical term for pretty much nothing. So Berkshire is sitting on $150 billion in cash, getting basically nothing. And more and more is coming in every day. Is that what he wants? No, of course not. He'd rather see that money working and earning a decent return for his shareholders. Warren Buffett, who runs Berkshire, said he'd love to have a cash cushion 
of somewhere around 30 or $40 billion. So that leaves a lot of money that he can put to work and that he wants to put to work. Problem is, he can't find anything that he likes. When you think about it, he really has three options for the cash other than leaving it in cash, which isn't a great option. First, first on the list is buying back stock, which he's been doing. During the last two years, Berkshire has spent almost $52 billion buying back about 9% of their shares. So clearly, he thinks his stock is or was undervalued, probably less so now because, as I said, the stock has run up 20%. Number two, he can go out, buy a business outright, buy just buy the whole darn thing. Number three, well, can't buy the whole darn thing. Well, he could go buy stock in a company that either that he already owns or that he wants to own, you know, the publicly traded companies. Up until now, he wasn't finding what he wanted. Again, at least until now. Over the last week, last week or two, Berkshire has made two significant moves. The first being the purchase of Allegheny. Allegheny is a publicly traded company that trades by the symbol Y. And I think that it's a perfect match for both Allegheny and Berkshire. You haven't heard of Allegheny before. Think of it simply as a mini Berkshire. They own a few different insurance businesses, RSUI, uh, Cap Specialty, and a larger reinsure, uh, reinsurance company, TransRig. And like Berkshire, over the years, they've used the float or their earnings to buy and invest in other businesses that are both privately held and publicly traded. Things like a fabricated steel company. They own funeral homes, hotels. And they also own stock in Amazon, Microsoft, J.P. Morgan, and Visa. Again, this is very much like Berkshire. And I think all the pieces at Allegheny fit in nicely with Berkshire. And Berkshire is paying about $11.5, $11.6 billion for them, or about 1.2, 1.3 times book value, which is below the average price paid for a property casualty company over the last few years. And the real price, I think, is closer to 1.1 times book if you factor in the value of Allegheny's non-insurance businesses. Remember, this is an accounting thing. When you buy a business outright, you carry it on your books at the purchase price, not what the company is worth now. So book value over time can be understated, sometimes pretty significantly. Again, I think this is just a great deal for both Berkshire and Allegheny. Berkshire also went out and spent $8 billion buying stock in Occidental Petroleum, symbol OXY. That's about 15% of Oxy's outstanding shares. Now, the speculation is flying around that Berkshire wants to buy all of Oxy. Who knows? But I don't think it's that crazy to think that. Oxy is a company that Buffett knows pretty darn well. Three years ago, when Oxy was trying to buy Anadarko Petroleum and needed the cash, well, Berkshire stepped up. Berkshire invested $10 billion, and in return, they got preferred stock yielding 8%. That's pretty good in, in and of itself. But, oh, they also got warrants to, dot, uh, to buy 10% of Oxy, buy 10% of the shares. Those warrants right now 
are just below their exercise price. Again, not crazy to think that Buffett buys all of Oxy. Maybe he goes out and spends 67 billion or 60 or 70 billion in cash to get it done and then folds it into Berkshire Hathaway's energy unit. Only time will tell. Either way, I'm a happy shareholder and I'm glad that some of this money is finding a good home. On the last show, since we're we're kind of in show rewind mode here, on the last show, I talked about Amazon, symbol A-M-Z-N, and Google, symbol G-O-O-G. Talked about them splitting their stock and some of the possible reasons. Well, why would they do that? One of the reasons that I put out there was for possible inclusion in the Dow, the Dow Industrial Average. Yeah, I, maybe it's a little bit of a stretch. Who knows? I did point out that to be included in the Dow, to be included in that index, your stock price had to be under $500. And the only stock above $500 a share that also had at least 1% weighting in the S&P, in other words, one of size, the only stock that fit that $500 a share and 1% was Tesla, symbol TSLA. What do you know? Tesla wants to split its shares so that it can pay a stock dividend to its shareholders. Tesla wants to split the stock. In its filing with the SEC, Tesla said that they're going to ask their annual uh, ask at its annual shareholders meeting for an increase in the number of authorized shares of common stock in order to enable a stock split of the company's common stock in the form of a stock dividend. Okay, so they're splitting the stock five to one. Keep in mind, this doesn't change the fun- fundamentals of the stock. Doesn't mean that they're earning more. Per- doesn't change anything. Just the number of shares outstanding. A stock dividend is paid to the shareholders in the form of additional company's shares instead of cash. And these dividends, you know, they don't affect the value as the company, as I just said, but they do dilute the share price. In other words, if there's a six for one split, investors will get a stock dividend of five shares for every one of Tesla they own. Actually, out of Tesla, Amazon, and Google, I think Tesla would be the best fit for the Dow. But honestly, I don't think Tesla has given much thought about that. This is really their goal in doing it. Uh, No, they may have not thought about it at all. Who knows? But what it does say about them is that they're confident in their ability to grow the company. I think that's the most important thing. Or it could be that since the last time Tesla split its stock, which was back in August of 2020, so not that long ago, shares have doubled. Why not try it again, right? <laughs> i tell you, over time, I've become more and more of an Elon Musk fan, but I still can't get myself to pay over 100 times earnings for the stock. Call me cheap. We've run out of time this week. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow them. I'm Eric Whiteman, and this has been Common Sense Investing.
listen to the show, now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talk about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and are not necessarily those of the XML Financial Group. I typically own and trade the securities I'm discussing, both personally and for my clients, but not all of them. Likewise, employees of XML and our affiliate broker-dealer may be trading and providing advice regarding the securities I mentioned to their clients as well. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, you should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I suggest you get someone who's qualified in those areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. I like to make projections and other forward-looking statements, which are just that, opinions, and are not actual results and are only valid as of the date of this recording. Things change constantly. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.